turn to Romans chapter 3. We're going to read verses 21 through to chapter 4, verse 8. And the sermon is going, going to focus on Romans 3, 27 to 31. The Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, wrote these words, Romans 3.21, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time, so that He might be just and the justifier of those who has of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is He not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by His faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who is justified, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one whom God counts righteous apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. This is the word of the Lord. For Christmas, about four or five years ago, one of my children asked for a hatchet. I won't name names, but it might have been my, my oldest son. And he is a real outdoorsman. He loves being outside, being in the woods, hunting, fishing, camping. Uh, so it, it was a fitting gift for him. Still probably not my wisest parenting choice. Anyway, um, a day or two after Christmas, he comes running into the house full of excitement. Dad, Dad, you come outside. I got something 
I want to show you. Come outside. Let me, let me show you this. Beaming with pride, we walk into the woods near our house, and he shows me uh, a nice sized tree that he hacked down with his new hatchet. And he says, Look, Dad, look at the tree. Look at my tree that I cut down. And I said, Son, that's not your tree, that's the neighbor's tree. So he cut down our neighbor's tree. And I, I thought about it, you know, a chainsaw you can get through a tree pretty quickly. But a hatchet must have taken him a lot of time and effort. No wonder he was so proud of cutting down our neighbor's tree. He didn't do it in one swing of the hatchet. It took repetition and persistence to get that tree down to the ground. And I think Paul is talking uh, in a spiritual sense of, of another tree, a stubborn tree that grows in the heart of the human. And it's the tree of pride. And Paul, through preaching his gospel, and you through sitting in church service after church service, Bible study after Bible study, week after week, what God is doing spiritually is He's taking the hatchet of the gospel and chopping, chopping, chopping away at your human pride. It's interesting that uh, Paul says some of the things that he says to the Romans in chapter 1. Now the Roman church, as we gather from the introduction, they knew and they believed the gospel. Paul calls them the saints who are in Rome. That's his, his, uh, his language for Christians. They are believers. They've, they've uh, acknowledged that, that, that they're sinners, they've repented, and they've put their trust in Jesus. They're the saints. Yet interestingly in Romans 1.15 Paul says that he is eager to preach the gospel to them again and again and again. The Gospel is not something we just need to hear so that we can initially believe and then go on with our lives. We're saved now. No, the Bible talks about needing to persevere in our faith, to keep that faith, to continue to be saved, to gain a righteousness that is by a faith that perseveres until our dying day. We need pride to be chopped away. Look at how many times in chapters, in Romans 3, 21 to 4, 1, he reminds us that we can't contribute anything to our righteousness. 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Verse 22, the righteousness of God that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift. Chop, 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 chopping away at our spiritual pride. Verse 27, what becomes of our boasting? How can we show pride? Paul says, it, you can't. It's excluded. The very nature of how we are made righteous forces any boasting out of us. It is by faith alone that we are saved. And as we look at this text, I want to, 
examine it under two, two themes. The first is this, the fall. The fall. Turning worshipers into boasters. And then the second thing we're going to look at is the gospel. The gospel restoring our spiritual equilibrium. The fall and the gospel. Let me ask you this. It's a pretty deep question and one that we may have an answer to, but I wonder if it really grips our hearts in the way we think about our lives. What are you designed to be and to do? You call yourself Christians, you're in church today. Why did God make you? Well, a concise answer to this question is found in the Westminster Shorter Catechism. First question of the Catechism is this, what is the chief end of man? What is the purpose? What is our essential and most basic function in life? Why did God create us? What is the chief end of man? And the answer is this, man's chief, most primary purpose, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That is the most fundamental aspect of our being. Now, what does that mean? It's a simple answer. But to unpack the meaning, it simply is this, that we are created to worship and adore God. To, to be fixated in everything that happens in our lives with God. To glorify Him for everything. To be thankful in all things. To look at every little aspect and dimension of our life and see the handiwork of God in it. Now, how well do we do that? I don't. I'm pretty sure that you don't either, because the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And this is where we sin at our most basic level. God formed us in His image, both male and female, according to Genesis chapter 1, for the purpose of worshiping and serving Him. The health of the created realm, the stability of human society depends on our commitment to making worship our chief end. It's reflected in the moral law, isn't it? The Ten Commandments. What do they focus on? What is the central theme? To love God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make a carved image of anything in the heavens above, the earth beneath, or the waters under the earth. So we're to worship the one true God, not another God created out of our own imagination. And we are to worship the one true God the way He tells us to, not to create images of the one true God. And we're not to take His name in vain, and we're to remember the Sabbath day. You think of um, the, the creation story. Six days of created work is all building up to what? The seventh day which is what the Sabbath is based on. The creatures are developed and formed by God, put into this environment known as the universe, so that they can worship and glorify the one true God. Now, 
the fall of Adam, the sin of Adam, turned us from being worshipers into boasters. From being worshipers into boasters. That's why Paul mentions this. Our root problem is pride. And pride comes to the surface through boasting. Pride, I don't know you're proudful until you boast. Boasting evidences pride. We forget that we're creatures utterly dependent on God for all things. We want to share in His glory in some way. We may acknowledge God to to be the, the initiator of our salvation, the main worker, but we hold on to something. We may thank God for gifting us, but we've surely done something to to succeed in our jobs. Remember what God does to Nebuchadnezzar when Nebuchadnezzar said, oh, look at this beautiful kingdom that I've built. God says, you you are going to take credit for that, Nebuchadnezzar? Well, I'm going to show you no. You deserve no credit for that. We're even to thank God every time we sit at a table and eat food. Acknowledging Him as the provider of it. The root of all sin is the creature confusing himself or herself with the Creator. Thinking that we are in some way, however small and minute the way may be, that in some way we are self-sufficient. C.S. Lewis really nails this in his book, Mere Christianity. He reveals the nature of pride. And I think this is really fascinating. It, it may be a perspective that you don't actually think about too much when you think of pride. What is the nature of pride? Well, C.S. Lewis says it's essentially competitive. Pride is competitiveness. Competitive by its very nature. Pride is competitive by its very nature. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the, one, than the, than the next man. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they're not. They are proud of being richer or more clever or better looking than someone else. It's always a competition thing. It's in comparison to someone else. It is the comparison that makes you proud. The pleasure of being above the rest. Other vices may sometimes bring people together. You may find good fellowship and jokes and friendliness among drunken people or unchaste people, but pride always means enmity, divisiveness. It is enmity. And not only enmity between man and man, but enmity to God. Paul is worried about this enmity creeping into the church. And I want you to look at the boasting theme in Romans. To boast is to speak of one's accomplishments. 
the outward expression of, of, as I've already said, of inward pride. Turn back with me to Romans chapter 1. Paul talks a lot about the sins of the Greeks. And he mentions in, in chapter 1, verse 29, this list of sins, and notice what's included in it. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful. Boastful. You see, the Greeks, they sought wisdom, we're told, in the New Testament. They, uh, they came from a long line of impressive thinkers, the Greek philosophers, um, Aristotle and Plato and men like that. And they looked down their noses at the religious Jews. The Jews. They believed that Jonah was swallowed by a fish. The Jews. Ignorant Foolish people. They believe that God spoke and the world was created in six days. Wow. They don't, they don't reason very well. We're far superior when it comes to wisdom than the Jews. Then Paul turns his attention on the Greeks. They also had this problem of pride. Romans chapter 2, verse 23. Paul says to the Jews, You who boast in the law... Dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. The Jews thought highly of their status. We are the chosen ones, the chosen people of God. Yeah, the, the, the Greeks are pretty clever and they, they do a lot of interesting things with philosophy. But when it comes to morality, we're the people of the law. We got the Ten Commandments. We do what's good and right. You know, they, they do some, they may be smart and can figure a lot of things out, but look how perverse they are. Look at how they live. They're like dogs. But Paul does something else in Romans. He talks about the boasting of the Gentiles, the boasting of the Jews. But in Romans 11, he talks about the boasting of Christians. So you may say, well, that issue of pride is not an issue for me. No, no, no. Paul, Paul chops at the Greeks, Paul chops at the Jews, and Paul chops at you and me. Look at Romans 11. Paul had gone on to talk about how the Jews rejected the Savior, and they lost their privileged status. They were broken away from Christ because of unbelief. They did not have faith. They trusted in themselves. And the Greeks now believe. They repented and believe and they embraced the gospel by faith and they're grafted back in. They're now part of the church, part of the covenant community. And Paul says this to them in verses 17 and 18. But if some of the branches were broken off, that's the Jews, the Jews are broken off, and you, the, the Greeks, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant. Now, in the Greek it's boast not. It's the same word that Paul is using in Romans 3.27. Listen here. Pride doesn't go away. 
the hatchet chopping of the gospel, you need to hear it week after week after week because your soul wants to revert back to boasting in a sanctified appearance. Look at us. We're better than the Jews because God has grafted us in. Paul says, don't be arrogant. This is why I think Paul is so big on the unity of Christians. Because this pride creeps in, and you see it because it divides true believers. It segregates people, and it turns them against one another. Oh, we're better than that group because our theology is better, or our spirituality is better, or our liturgy is better. Or our church health is better. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11. And he's saying this to true believers. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is this. Each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Two things Paul hates. Compromising the gospel and applying the gospel wrongly by boasting. You cannot be boastful if you truly are resting in Christ by faith alone. You need that root chopped away. Chopped away. Chopped away. You see how it divides? Paul's followers, Peter's followers, Christ's followers, Apollos' followers. They're all Christians, but they're divided because they're acting inconsistently with gospel principles. And Paul says, enough. Enough. Boasting by nature is a form of self-worship. It is a denial of the creator-creature distinction. It is idolatry. And that's what the fall does to us. That's what the flesh does to us. But the gospel changes everything. That brings us to our second point. The gospel restoring spiritual equilibrium. What then then what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded by what kind of law? By a law of works? No. But by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. God presents through the gospel a new way, a new way of righteousness that cuts off any opportunity for human boasting. The way, the very nature of the gospel excludes any boasting. It's very explicitly stated in verse 28. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law, apart from any human contribution or addition. This is why Luther uh, added the word to the Greek text that we are justified by faith alone. Alone to cement that 
reality. Because he lived in a church context with Roman Catholicism that they kept trying to add something to it. And this is how they did it. They, they believed in this doctrine of infused righteousness. Now remember what we talked about last week, the imputation of righteousness? It's a legal thing. I give legally before the judgment of God, I give Him my sin. He takes it to the cross and He pays the judicial penalty. It's a legal action. And in return He gives me His righteousness. So legally I am right before God. Here's what Rome did. Oh yes, we believe, they said, in justification by faith. We believe that Jesus is our only hope. We believe in Christ. We believe in all of those things. We believe in faith. But this is how it works. When you believe, God changes you by infusing grace into your heart, changing you and making you capable of doing good works. And now that you're capable of doing good works, it's your job to go earn your justification by using the infused grace that, that God graciously gave you through Jesus Christ. But now you've got to go do good works in order to merit salvation. Paul says no very clearly. He emphasizes faith. It's not by works of the law, it's by faith. What is saving faith? Well, it's, it's a response by a sinner to the free offer, the gracious gift of an alien righteousness. We're not doing anything, we're simply holding our hands out and receiving what God is offering us. Listen to what C.H. Spurgeon says about faith. Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher from England, says, Faith is believing that Christ is what He is said to be. That Christ is the Son of God. Believing that He is who He says He is, and that He will do what He has promised to do. He will take our sins and act as a substitute, a propitiation to remove the wrath of God. And He will in return give us his righteousness. Faith is believing that Christ is who He says He is, and that He will do what He has promised to do, and then expecting Him to do it. That's faith. That's faith. It's the instrument by which we take hold and receive the free gift of God. The person who runs to Christ for salvation is simultaneously running away from himself. Those two things can never go together. It's either one or the other. You can either have Christ or you can have your works. You cannot have any mixture of the two. So I want to conclude by giving you four characteristics of saving faith. The first characteristic of saving faith is it is an exposing grace, an exposing grace. It exposes us for what we truly are, dead in our sins and in our trespasses. It takes hold of what Paul says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it says, that is me. I own that. I have sinned and I fall short of the glory of God. It exposes us for who we are, corrupted by sin and deserving nothing but God's 
condemnation. True faith is an exposing grace. Secondly, true faith is an emptying grace. It is an emptying grace. Faith acknowledges who we are, and it wants nothing to do with its works because it knows that all of its works are contaminated. I don't, I want to empty myself of any human contribution to my standing before God. It's an exposing grace, and because it exposes our sin nature, it empties us. It says, we don't want anything. It accepts Paul's argument that none is righteous, no, not one. It forces us to rock bottom. It freely and even joyfully acknowledges what David says in Psalm 51, that God loves a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. John Calvin says that faith receives all from God and brings nothing except a humble confession of want. Faith receives all from God and brings nothing except a humble confession of want. An exposing grace, an emptying grace, it is also a receiving grace. It empties us of all contributions, but it joyfully, freely, happily receives from Christ all of His benefits. If you're a man or a woman of faith, and someone asks you, are you righteous? You say, absolutely I am. And I'm righteous not because of anything I've done, because I've emptied it all. I've thrown it all into the trash can. I am righteous because I wholeheartedly receive from Christ all that He's done for me. Exposing, emptying, receiving, and lastly, it's a resting grace. Faith is a resting grace. By faith we receive and rest upon Christ alone for salvation. We stop working for God's favor. That is a sweet, sweet place to be. It gives us rest. It makes worship something we look forward to because we're not worried about whether God is going to receive us or reject us. It cultivates a true, genuine assurance of salvation. We rest in the assurance that Christ has won it all for us. So, why is boasting excluded? Because faith eliminates boasting. Because by nature it excludes human merit and it replaces it with God's gift. Listen to Paul, who is the author of this letter, but listen to what he says in Philippians. You really get the flavor of what we've just been talking about. Paul says, Indeed, I count everything that's any human accomplishment or contribution to my moral standing. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake... I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may, so I, I take all of my stuff and I throw it away, I count it as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, 
not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, nothing that I've contributed, not that, that's not what I want, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. This is what brings joy to David's heart. This is why David says, blessed is the man who God does not count his transgressions against. This is what caused sinners in Jesus' day to flock to him. And if you know anything of the gospel, this is what drew you to Jesus too. Chop, chop, chop. The gospel will chop away at your pride. And it will force you into receiving with open and empty hands Christ and all that He gives. The gospel returns spiritual equilibrium. It leads us back to righteous worship. It strips from us all confidence in the flesh. Praise be to God. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the gospel. We thank You that there is a way where uh, we as sinners can be made pure and right in Your sight. And it's a way that is through faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, inflame our hearts with joy as we uh, embrace Christ as He has freely offered to us in the gospel of grace. Amen.